And where I want to begin this morning is I want to turn to the book of John. And in the book of John, uh, we have uh, a very interesting, compared to the other Gospels, a very interesting beginning to his Gospel. Let's hear it in some length. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so John begins his introduction to his book, what I find interesting with it, and it's each, each gospel writer sets, begins their, their gospel in a unique and specific way, and it fits in with what they are trying to communicate. What I find interesting about John is the other gospel writers begin with an earthly historical perspective, and John begins with an eternal prehistorical perspective when he says, in the beginning, that means before, even before the creation of the world, the creation of the universe. And so he begins with this eternal perspective, and then he moves shortly after that to a temporal or a historical perspective, and one in which he's trying to be ever so clear that there's this guy who's sent from God, his name is John, not John, the author of the book we're reading, John the Baptist. And he makes it very clear that John the Baptist is not this light I've been talking about from an eternal perspective. John has a specific role. John's specific role is he comes before the one who is that light, and he points to him and he says, this is the guy we need to listen to. This is the one whom God has sent. This is the one whom God promised literally centuries, millennia prior to our being here now. This is the one. Hear him. He says, that was the task of this one. John, not the light, but testifies of the light. And so that's how he moves us into the, into the temporal aspect, in the more historical aspect. And then he shows us the significance of who Christ is. This one who came, he created the world, but he came unto the world. The world didn't receive him. In total, the world rejected him. He came here, he's the one who shines light in the darkness, and man, they missed it. They didn't get it. As a whole... But out of that whole, there are individuals who did. There's a small group who did get it, and they understood, and they believed in him, and they became children of God, because whoever believes in him has the power to become a child of God. I said, so that's the significance of who this one is. And so he gets rolling into his gospel with these magnificent truths as to who Christ is. And then that brings us to where we want to spend the the most of our focus because he then says in verse 14 these magnificent words and the word became flesh and dwelt among us 
And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred, is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And John sets forth this magnificent reality, this word from eternity past, the divine Logos, the one who is the word, the one who is the expression of God. He says, the word became flesh. See, the other gospel writers, as they tell us about Christ becoming flesh, they tell us from our side of the ledger, they tell us about Mary's experience, and they tell us about Joseph's experience, and we relive these every Christmas, as we should, and we retell the story. But John's telling us about Christ as the Son's experience, how he was in eternity past, and he took on flesh. So now that he becomes the one and only truly God and man united into one, two natures, one person, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now immediately that takes us, if we understand, that immediately takes us back into the Old Testament and gives us a picture. He says he tabernacled among us, literally. And the picture that we have of of when we go back into the Old Testament, we look at that, we remember in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, where God said that they were to build a tabernacle, that he, he says, that I might dwell with them. And that dwelling place in that first tabernacle, it was a tent-like structure. It was movable. But that dwelling place had in the holiest of holies, beyond the veil that we talked about last week, beyond that veil that's, that blocked off the holiest of holies, there was, uh, there was the ark with the mercy seat on top and the cherubim whose wings met over that. And God said he would meet them right there where they placed the blood. And, and so God was, repre- not, God was present among the people of Israel. As they moved through the desert, he was present there in the tabernacle. Now, they didn't have direct access to him. That's what we talked about last week. They didn't have that there. It was all through priesthoods and blood and all this sacrifice, but his presence was there in a very real way. And he was demonstrating his presence, and he was dwelling among them. And that was the Old Testament imagery. And John says that he became flesh, and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. His body was the tabernacle, and his presence in this divine logos was there, and he was walking among us. He dwelt with us in this flesh that he took on. And he says, and we beheld his glory. We saw this. We beheld his glory. That word glory, I think for me, is just a little bit, it's a, it's a little bit difficult to get my arms around in terms of how you explain it. How do you come up with this simple definition to glory? And that's because it has so many facets to it. But if I could, I want to take a minute just for the sake of explaining the word glory. We're not going to get distracted by what we're going to turn to. That somehow we've changed topics. No. I want to give you a sense as to what we think about when we think of glory by going in. It won't show up on the screen, so I want you to just listen to me. Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 21, we're talking about the New Jerusalem here. 
John says, I saw no temple in it, for the glory, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are, it, are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the, nation, the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. Wow, okay, so what is it? The glory of God, of the Father and of the Son, are such that it's, they emanate from them, and in their emanating from them, they actually have a presence which lights the holy city. So there's no need for a moon and a sun. So it's something that emanates forth. We go, okay, well, I got that. It's something that emanates forth. But as we continue to read, we see this. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Well, now what is that? It's not like the kings are bringing something in that's shining also. Well, I believe what is happening there is simply this. This is, this is during a time when, when the peoples will do great things and they're living in harmony with God. And they're going to bring in the things that they do, the things that they produce, the things that they create, the things that give honor to God and that lift them up because it's all in its proper place now. And these great things that they have and they bring them back to God and they say, here, this is yours. But they're good and excellent things that they bring. And I think where we get the clue is it says they bring their glory and honor. And that's the second part, I think, that we have to do grasp in order to understand what we're talking about, about this glory. We beheld his glory. Two parts to it. One, it, glory is something which emanates from some source. And in this particular case, back in, back in John's gospel here, it's emanating from Christ. We beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father. This thing that came out from him, not only does it emanate, but it is something which exalts. Remember, they're bringing that which is the glory and honor of the nations, something which exalts the one who has this emanating. You know, everything that emanates from us does not necessarily exalt us. There are things that emanate from us that are a disgrace to us. We watch what's going on in political campaigns right now when we see things emanating out of the campaign and we are embarrassed to say one of these people is going to be our president, right? Everything that emanates does not exalt. But what was emanating from Christ as of the only begotten of the Father exalted him as the one and only one in all of history who lived and walked among men as totally God and totally man in perfect harmony and sinless existence. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. And then John says, full, full, this glory that we saw was full of grace and truth. Full. Of grace and truth. When you see the Son, when we watched Him as He was on the earth, we saw grace and truth just flowing from Him, flowing out of His glorious existence. So these are the two things 
that exalted the incarnate Christ, or the incarnate Logos, if you will, from verse 1, chapter 1, who is the Christ he's talking about here. He's the only begotten of the Father, and he is full of grace and truth. And we look at that, we fall before him, and we worship him for these things. We adore him for these things. We proclaim who he is because he is worthy of our complete worship and adoration. He's full of grace and truth. He's an expression of truth. Remember how he exclaimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're looking at Christ. You're looking at truth. Everything he says, everything he stands for, everything he does, everything which characterizes him is grounded in truth and is an expression of truth. There's no deception. There's no lying. There's no darkness. There's no sin. None of that. It is truth that is everything that he is, but he is additionally an expression of grace. This grace that comes. And, and after saying, we, you know, this is, we've seen his fullness, full of grace and truth, he offers this clarifying contrast. He said, John bore witness of this too. He cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Even John was making the same statement. That is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, this is what he was proclaiming, that this is the one who has come in glory. Full of grace and truth. So first, first thought, friends. Christ revealed grace and truth. First thing. He's the absolute revelation of grace and truth. Secondly, as John goes on, I want to point out that we received grace and truth. Verse 16. Of his fullness. Remember this fullness that was within his glory that out came grace and truth. And of his fullness we have all received. And grace for grace or grace upon grace, or grace unto grace. Try and find the right words. You know, it's like, okay, you say it enough times, eventually you begin to get a little sense as to what it is. The word in the original language is anti, and it means instead of, in place of. So think of it this way. What comes to us? Grace. And as that passes away, what comes in its place? Grace. And as we have experienced that, what comes following it? Grace. And after that comes grace. That's what John is saying we have experienced. Grace upon grace. Grace unto grace. Grace instead of grace. But this grace just keeps pouring our way. And that's what came out of this fullness. And we've all received of that, he says. Of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. Had an interesting week this last week. Left here after church and pretty much went home, started getting ready for this week. Left early Monday morning, flew to Florida. Nothing for the sake of vacationing or to be with my family. We did that a few weeks ago. Flew to Florida in order to uh, do a ceremony uh, for a young couple. Wedding ceremony on the, on the shore of the Atlantic Ocean, just outside of Fort Lauderdale. It was Dylan's brother, Austin, his older brother, Austin. Had this beautiful setup that was there. And um, so there we are. And we're out having this service on the shore of, of the Atlantic Ocean. Now, Dylan and Alyssa, you were both there. I'm going to ask you a question, all right? Did you notice that um, as we were there, you could see a wave come in? Right? Did you see out in the ocean? A wave would come in. You saw that, right? And then after the wave, what came next? 
another wave, and then another, and, and how long did they come? They just kept coming, didn't they? All right, friends, that's what we have From the time of Jesus Christ, when he walked the face of the earth, and John says, we beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. And of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. It has just kept coming. God has been pouring out grace unto mankind over and over and over and over and over. And it keeps coming down to us. And then he offers Another clarifying statement. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And he sets up this, again, this clarifying contrast after indicating that we have received grace and truth. He says, this is what we got in the Old Testament. We got the law. But you know, if you understand Scripture, you know the law has some real shortcomings. The law is outstanding at describing for us what it takes to be perfectly righteous and accepted by a holy, righteous God. And the law is a means of of declaring that to us. But the law has one shortcoming. It can't do anything to help us get there. It can't change us so that we become this righteousness that God requires. And so it just kind of sits there. And it tells us you need something more. That's why Galatians says it's our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. It's the one that leads us into, okay, I can't live up to this. I can't be that perfect thing that God needs. What am I going to do? I'm going to put my faith in Christ. And there he will transform me. And there he will give me his righteousness. And there I can have a hope. For all eternity. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Truth was resonant in him, and grace just came out to us from him. And he offers it to us time and time and time again. And John seems to, in my thinking, he... He bookends his introduction here to his gospel with this last statement. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who was in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. That's a bookend to what he said in 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. Nobody has seen God, but the one who took on flesh has declared him. And then he picks up and he moves into the more historical stuff after that. And he goes on to explain what was going on in that day. Grace upon grace, like waves of the sea, as we have this grace experience, God's ready to have another grace experience right behind it because he reaches out to us in love and kindness and grace and he wants to bring wholeness and goodness into our life. It's all based upon Jesus Christ. John made that clear. For as many as received him, it all starts with faith in Jesus Christ. We have to be clear about that. But when we have entered into that relationship, the grace is there and God desires and he calls us and he says, I love you and I want to do great things in you and through you and with you. And this grace just keeps coming. So what does that mean for us? Well, as we're we're wrapping this up, I would like us to consider just this. Finishing, picking up in verse 19, as he now moves away from this introduction, John says, now this is the testimony of John, John the Baptist, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? 
He answered, no. They said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. I am the one here just letting you know he's coming. Be prepared for him. So why do I throw that in here? Just this, friends. What do we do with this reality that... Christ revealed grace and truth, and we received grace and truth. What do we do with that? I'd like to just throw out this in our thinking, see if, it, see if it fits. You walk around with it for a little bit. Christ is coming back soon. Whether you know it or not, whether we, we feel like, well, I don't live in the wilderness, the wilderness is coming to us, friends. The wilderness is just creeping in around us. The danger and the darkness and the ugliness of the wilderness is just making itself known Day by day, we are just falling into wilderness. We are becoming wilderness in this world as mankind decides he really doesn't want the things of God, and particularly in our culture as we can, we can map things that indicate, uh, you know what, this is not going in a good direction. So what I would like to suggest simply is this. As John the Baptist was the one saying, make straight, because he's coming, he's coming soon, that quite possibly maybe God would call us, he say, uh, I need to be a voice crying in the wilderness. You don't have to go out to the wilderness. It's coming to you. But I need to be the voice that's going to cry out. He's coming again. Be prepared for that. And the preparation is to receive the grace and the truth that is his. And so what are we, friends? We stand in this place in all of, of redemptive history. We stand in this place in this part of northwest Minnesota. And we stand here, and this, this grace and this truth that has come wave upon wave upon wave through the millennia comes to us and it washes over us and it transforms us. And then God says, now here's what's supposed to happen. You're to begin proclaiming it yourself. You've received it, now proclaim it. And proclaim it until Christ comes. That's who we want to be as a church. Mike talked about the free church as a whole. Wonderful that Kevin Compline gave us that clarity on that. But that's where we've wanted to be as long as I've been here. And we don't want that to change than to be that place that continues to proclaim the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And that's God's call upon us. Amen? Amen. 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 Father, thank you for the joy of opening your word together. Give us wisdom, Lord, about um, how we become greater and more effective vessels of grace, and we want to be your presence in this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.